spoiler alert. So you you wake up and there's a knock on your door and you open up the door and there's nothing but uh, a bottle of water and it says everlasting life. Hello everyone and welcome to Living a Life Through Books, the podcast about everything bookish. I'm your host Dr. Shanaz Ahmed and today is a day I've been waiting for, oh, for about a couple of months. Why? Because I have Matteo Ascaripour with me. His debut novel, Black Buck, published by Houghton Mifflin Harcourt, HMH, soared to the New York Times bestseller list shortly after being published. How exciting! A bit about Matteo. His writing has appeared in Lit Hub, Electric Literature, Entrepreneur, the Rumpus, Catapult, Medium, and more. He was also a 2018 Rhode Island Writer's Colony writer-in-residence. A few of his favorite pastimes include watching music videos and movie trailers ad nauseum, drinking copious amounts of yerba mate, and dancing in his apartment. Follow him on Instagram to catch him in the act. He lives in Brooklyn, and you can follow him on Instagram or Twitter at, at AskMateo. Feel free to send him an email, and uh, I will attach his contact links in the show notes. Before I bring up our conversation, I wanted to say that your support of my podcast means a lot to me. The easiest way is to buy me a coffee. Go to buymeacoffee.com slash podcast. Every coffee you buy me helps keep me alert and this podcast going. I'll add the link in the show notes and I thank you. And now, without further ado, pull up a seat, sit back, relax, and enjoy my conversation with Matteo Ascaripur, author of Black Buck. Welcome to my podcast. I am like beyond excited to have you here and I'm nervous. Okay. Okay. I'm nervous. You you know how I am. I know how you are. That's why I'm nervous because you're like, you're like quick. You're very quick with it. So I'm kind of like, okay. Yeah, I gotta be on my I'm, I'm I'm happy to be here on your podcast. And are you gonna give the listeners background on how this came to be? Sure. We can do talk about it now. Yeah, we can talk about it now. Then maybe you cut it. It's your podcast, so no, no, um, no. Let's let's talk about it now. I'm going to tell you my point of view of this. Okay, let's do it. Yes, let's go. So here I am. We're on Clubhouse, right? Yep. And you're talking on Clubhouse, and I raise my hand. I get to ask a question. So this is what happens. I ask the question, which was about Libro FM and influencer and all of that, which we'll talk about some more. But then at the back of my mind. There's this, you know, these seconds of like ticking. I'm going, you have the floor, Mateo's there, just ask the question. And you know, you got this fight going on between like, no, don't ask the question. He's gonna say, no, you're gonna look like an idiot. No, ask the question. God darn it, just ask the question. And this brain of mine is going crazy. And while this brain's going crazy, my mouth just goes, hey, Mateo, you wanna be on my podcast? And I'm like, oh, shoot, I just asked the question. Yes. Yes. Right? You asked, and then and then what did I say? You said you're really busy this month, but you most likely can do it 
this month, which was, this was last month. So you said you could do it this month and you said, email me. Yes. Yes. That's so that's what I remember. I remember saying email you and, and everything else sounds true to my memory as well. You know, memory is so funny. It can be so different for so many different people, but we're on the same page. Um, the way that I experienced it was that I was at Clubhouse, you know, with Diverse Shelves and, and Kelly and Casey, great people who run right. that and, and run other groups and businesses. I was there talking about Black Buck and we had maybe, I don't know, 30 to 40 people in there and, and questions were being asked. And then um, I, I heard your energetic and dynamic and really one of a kind voice. Um, and it's not just the sound, it's the, it's the intention and the enthusiasm in it. And that's the first thing that um, resonated with me. And then you just asked, you went for the ask, right? Which any good salesperson would or should, you just asked. And I know that there was trepidation, right? But you asked and I respected it. Now at the same time, I am a person of my word. So I'm very hesitant to make commitments or give commitments on the spot unless I know that I could actually do them. And knowing that I could actually do them means consulting my calendar as well as consulting myself. Do I have the desire? Do I have the interest, right? It's not some big cost benefit analysis of, oh, how many followers? It's not that. It's like, do I, will I have the energy for this in a couple of weeks or in a month or, or two knowing all that I have going on and knowing how I'm feeling now? So I said, email me. And then you got on Instagram. And you were recounting our interaction. Yes. And it was just so palpable that I said, there's really, and maybe I shouldn't be uh, uh, putting this out there, but you had so much excitement that I said, there's no way I can actually say no. Aww. So when we got into the Thank email, you. yeah, and it wasn't, it wasn't me doing a favor. It was me wanting to experience more of this, experience more of you and, and gain your perspective one-on-one. -on -one. So here we are. And uh, thank you for asking the question, right? If you, if you hadn't, if you had given into hesitation and trepidation and submitted to failure before even trying, we wouldn't be here. Which is really kind of where your book is all about, right? Yeah. Where, sure. because yeah. your main character, and I apologize, I read your book like about two months ago or when it came out. So I'm going to be like that character who did, you oh, know, the yeah. main, your protagonist. Darren. Darren. So yes, Darren. yes. Yeah. Black Buck, the main yeah. guy. Yeah. When he was <laughs> approached, right, at Starbucks and says, you know, show up here. And he's like, um, who is this guy? Do I want to show up in his office? Yeah. And he doesn't. He doesn't. He doesn't. Mm. But lucky for him, lucky or unlucky, whichever way you want to go with I was the story. Say, I wasn't going to interrupt, but. Whichever way you want to go with the story, lucky or unlucky for him, he gets a second opportunity and he gets dragged in. He's like, no, you show up here. Yeah. <laughs> you get your butt up here because I'm sticking my neck out for you. And, um, you know, I always remember, I think my dad always says, just ask. Yeah. What is what is the worst? They're not gonna punch you in the face and say hell no. I mean, <laughs> but I understand that it feels that way. And you know, Shanaz, you know, you're talking about the beginning of the book. One of the main inflection points in the protagonist Darren's life when he is uh, given this opportunity and doesn't take it at first. 
due to fear and, and, and other reasons, maybe his body or subconscious knew that it would lead to potentially disastrous consequences, right? And also some good later, later down the line. You bringing that up makes me think, and I don't know if you have an agenda for this conversation or uh, a funnel. No perhaps. agenda, actually no. no agenda. We just go where yeah. the conversation goes, okay? Okay, great. So, so it makes me think of the end because this isn't really so much of a spoiler, but at the end, a question is posed to the reader of, was it all worth it? I'm curious, what is your answer to that question? Oh man. You read it two months ago, but maybe something stuck with you or- Oh no, I remember the story. I'll tell you, I remember the, I don't remember character names. Yeah. But I remember the story and was it worth it? I was really, I'll be very honest. There's a part of me that's just like, Darren, why did you have to even do that, uh, the drug trade? I can put a spoiler alert in the beginning, no sure. issues. You know, sure. I was kind of like, I know you're trying to build this friendship back again. Yes. And you're like, I am going to be there for you, bro. I'm going to be there. I know you're going to build this friendship back, but come on. He's asking you to do this drug trade. Don't do no. it. So I was. I probably would have done it. You wouldn't have done it. I don't know. I, I don't do drugs. I don't know. What- oh, no, but I mean, Darren, Darren, uh, not to give too much of a spoiler, right? He's not doing drugs right, at the right. moment. His friend is asking him to, you know, do a transaction on his behalf because he has incapacitated you to various reasons. So that's that's what I'm asking. You know, you, you putting yourself in his scenario, and there's no right or wrong answer. No. Your friend who you wronged who you hurt, who you betrayed in certain ways, and who also betrayed you, but maybe you did work worse. I'm not sure the reader will have to say, you know, is is hurt and in pain physically and saying, hey man, I really, really, hey Shanaz, I really, really, really need you to do this. It's gonna be quick, it's gonna take 20 minutes. There's, I've done this 10 times. There's never been any problems. Please do this for me. What would you say? If there were drugs involved, I'm just gonna say no. I'm sorry. If, if there's sorry, don't be sorry. I, I'm just if there are drugs involved, I'm gonna say no. But yeah. I want to bring it back to this friendship, okay? Yeah. Where you said Darren had wronged his friend. You yeah. know, here's his friend in the corner, and he's just like, "So you're a big shot now, huh? You're forgetting about us." And as I'm reading through this, I'm going, "Darren did not wrong you just because." He went up the ladder just because someone took a path that you would not have taken, that you do not approve of, does not mean he wronged you. Wow. If anything, if anything, the way I look at it is, dude, if you are a real friend, yeah. say, bravo, Darren, go for it. Go, go start this thing. I'm all for this. You know, I yeah. don't. Yeah, Shanaz, I'm so happy that you're bringing this up because... And I'm sorry, what were you about to say? I'm sorry, I jumped No, in. I'm just, that, that, no, that, that was it. I mean, that was how I felt about it. And what am I missing then? Well, uh, you're not missing anything if that's your read of it. I have different thoughts. And I think that Jason, the friend that you're referring yes, to. Yes, yes, Jason, exactly. Jason, wow, as you're speaking, I feel so grateful <laughs> because so many people have thoughts on their friendship and thoughts on Jason specifically. Okay. And it feels as though most people live in the place that you do in terms of like thinking wise, like Jason wronged Darren and by not supporting him, 
right? And then there are a few who think otherwise. And for, for the listeners who haven't read the book, Jason's on the corner um, in their neighborhood of Bed-Stuy, Brooklyn, and he's doing what he believes he has to do in order to better the financial situation, greater life of himself and his mother. Darren is then given that opportunity that we discussed earlier by a man named Rhett Daniels, some white CEO of a company called Someone. And Darren begins to transition more of his life and attention and energy to Manhattan and that startup. Now, what I see, and this isn't me as the author, this is me not speaking on Jason's behalf, but putting myself in his shoes. I think that he felt like Darren was ignoring him, that Darren one or two times ran past him on the corner on his way to the subway to go to work instead of giving him a dap, you know, handshake. And I typically don't translate, but I'm going to do it here, right? That's, that's what a dap is. And um, talking to him for a little bit, and he feels hurt, I believe. Now, there were other parts of the book that really hit home this point even more that honestly I deleted. Okay. Because I thought that people would would see what was going on and some people do and some people don't. The lines are blurred and certain things aren't as obvious as they could be, but I'm happy about that because that is a, a theme of the book, blurred lines. Yes. And, and I did that intentionally so that readers would have more of a responsibility to figure out what's what, what is actually satirical, what is actually real, what is absurd, what is so real that it's absurd, what do I, the reader, think about this, what do I, the reader, feel about this, I wanted to put the ball in the reader's court, and in some ways it leads to miscommunication and people misconstruing what, you know, my, my intentions, but I'm okay with that, it's not my role, Shanaz, to judge the reader, I believe. Right, right, but... What was your intention mm. when you read the book? Not when, you, I mean, both as a writer and as a reader, you know, let's, let's take you as a writer, okay? okay? What is your intention as the writer when you say, okay, hey, I want my character to be this. I want Jason to be this. I want their relationship to be this. And this is what I want as a writer for my reader to feel. There's mm -hmm. that side of it. And then when you are a reader, which is kind of hard to take yourself out of your own book, but when you kind of take yourself out and you're reading it, then what do you feel? Or you're just like, oh, I know exactly what that writer's felt because that's me. And this is what that intention was. And as a reader, I get that intention. Mm -hmm. That's, that's a, a great question. It's not an easy one to answer because I don't think that there's a simple answer for it. When I was writing this book, I had my own thoughts and my own intentions for things that I wanted to happen and for the way that I wanted characters to be, but they revealed themselves to me. As I wrote more of the book, as I revised it from draft to draft, I got to know them better, not because I was figuring out how I wanted them to be better, but because they were telling me as I was writing or as I was revising, Jason was saying, no, I wouldn't say this like this anymore. Now you know me better. I wouldn't say it like this. Or Darren, right? Listen, I know you don't like this author, Mateo, right? But you're actually not God. And this is what I would do in this scenario. So you're either going to insert yourself as the author and force it, or you're going to listen to me. That's why it's so, it's so difficult to express this because it sounds metaphysical right it sounds it sounds spiritual and and some writers would would describe going into a trance like 
state while writing. And that is one of my goals when I'm writing. For the story to be there and for it to reveal itself to me in its most authentic form so that I can then just be the facilitator or the documentarian and do my best job to birth this story and these characters, whatever it may be, Black Buck, or it could be something taking place, you know, uh, in, a, in a totally different time space, uh, time, a time and dimension on the page. So is that how you go about writing? So do you just come up with a story and then you kind of just transcend and you just look at these characters and as you're writing, suddenly these characters come alive and then you just transcend and go where the story goes? It's not, it's not sudden, it's gradual. Okay. Yeah, I, I get to know the characters better gradually because when I'm writing, and I don't know if this is how it is for all writers, but this is how it is for me. When I'm writing, I'm not in my seat. My mind is really inhabiting, <laughs> for, for the people who are listening, you can't see Shanaz's face, but she was like, what? <laughs> like her, 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 No, I got a, her, I got a straight face. Her right Listeners. eye dipped and she's like, huh? No, um, no, 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 I got a straight face, but go ahead. <laughs> yeah, so, so I'm, not, I'm not in my seat. My mind is in a whole other place. My mind is in the world of the story and I'm channeling it through me, right? And, and typing as I go. So that after writing for a few hours, I stand up from my desk and I'm like, okay, I'm back here. And it takes me a moment to reacclimate myself to where I am. <laughs> I see your face. It's okay. It's okay. Let it out. Let it out. It's great. I love it. But 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 let me let me bring it back because I didn't answer your last question directly and, and I'd like to. My thoughts on the relationship between Jason and Darren, while also uh, allowing myself the freedom to blur the lines and not just imprint my own biases onto the page and the reader, with that I wanted there to be two very close friends who were close from a young age. I wanted them to have always been there for each other. And then I wanted this intrusion or Darren's decision to go down this other path in life, working at this all white startup that is in many ways, in almost always very, not always, but very different to their world in Bedside, Brooklyn, even though it's only a few miles away. I wanted that to then raise questions and create conflict in their relationship and to push their friendship to its bounds or boundaries or past it to figure out who are they in relation to each other? Who are they in relation to the concept of opportunity? Who are they as two black men in America, right? Who are of equal intelligence. In some ways I, I found Jason to be more intelligent, more determined and having greater clarity on his goals than Darren, at least in the beginning. I wanted to showcase pain between men and how negatively that can manifest when someone's just hurt, but they feel like they can't say, hey, I'm hurt right now, or you're hurting me. So those were some of my thoughts and intentions. And I was able to render some of them, I believe, on the page and, and maybe not all of them sufficiently. No, that, that's great. No, that, that's great. I just, uh, you know, because that relationship, because you, we started off with the, the end with the drug right. scene and you were like, what's their friendship? So, and... And I'll be honest, I'm kind of like, I'm a spoiled brat and I'm a sheltered spoiled brat. Mm. So this is why I love reading these things because it just opens my mind going, oh, 
cool. Mm-hmm. So, okay, let's talk about, um, I just want to know what fame feels like to you. I know I'm great, going off the book. I'm going to go back and forth, okay? Because I'm just crazy like that. No, this is your podcast. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm, but... here you. I'm your guest, homie. Yeah, okay. All right. Let's do it. So what, what does fame feels like? Yeah. What does fame feel like? I mean, you're a celeb now, dude. Well, I'm not. I was getting my answer and I don't mean this like to be cheeky, but I don't know what it feels like. I'm not famous. I mean, you do realize that when you said yes to the podcast and everything, there was a friend of mine. She messaged me. She DM'd me and she goes, oh my gosh, I was on that clubhouse when Matteo was speaking, I heard you. And she was like, I could have sworn his email would say no, or there would be no email back. And she was like, I was there. And she was like, just as shocked as I was that it came out as a yes. And uh, so it's like, people are like fangirling you. I mean, I'm fangirling you. I'm like, oh my God, Matteo, you know, that's a celeb. um, so, So here's the thing. I don't feel famous because I really know that I'm not in the grander scheme of things, right? There are other writers, there are other people that have far more influence and reach, right? Like, and I'm not comparing myself to them not in terms of like, oh, that's what I want, but these be the facts, right? I know the industry, I know the people, and I know who's doing this, that, and the other. Not always, I don't know what goes on behind closed doors and things, but I know what I see. <laughs> With that said, right, I know that people that are keyed into the world of books, a lot of them know who I am or, or some of them, you know, more than before know who I am. Um, even if people don't know who I am, they've likely heard about Black Buck because it's been on the, the, the who's who of these lists, right? That people know about and that's cool. But for me, what feels greatest is having and continuing to achieve success in the way that I define it today, at least in relation to this book and my writing which is having my work resonate with people deeply, which is having them feel not one thing, but many things while reading this specific work. When I get an email from someone who says, Mateo, you don't know me, but you reflected my life through the pages of your work back to me. And I feel empowered. I feel seen. I feel like someone finally understands that I'm not crazy. I'm not paranoid. I'm not overly sensitive when I believe, excuse me, when I perceive something to be amiss in some of these places. Or when I get other emails by people who say, I, I don't know what it's like to be this, that, and the other, but your book has opened up my eyes and now I feel as though I'm, I'm empowered to be a better ally, right? Or when people just say, hey, your book was real as hell, it was triggering, but it was also funny, you know? And they, and they didn't read it as too far to one side where it was just funny or too far to the other side where it was just 400 pages of, of tragedy and trauma. That, Shanaz, is what makes me feel good today. So any thoughts about fame or anything like that, I don't really entertain them. I would love to continue to have my book resonate with as many people as possible, of course. Okay. Because, you know, I'm just like, oh my gosh, you're a New York Times bestselling author. This is I mean, the thing. It's a dream, right? Isn't that a dream? It, it, it was a dream, but it wasn't the dream. And what, I, is and I mean, the dr- what is the dream? And I mean this in earnestness. I mean, the dream was to publish a book that many people would read and that it would resonate with, right? But of course I had goals and dreams and milestones. Being a New York Times bestseller, of course I dreamt about that. I wanted that, right? I'm not gonna say, I'm not this person like, oh, I'm above all these. No, not at all. I wanted to be a New York Times bestseller. I wanted the book to knock on wood, you know, eventually make it to the screen. 
I wanted people who I respect, whose work I've consumed, writers, actors, directors, to read Black Buck and say that they liked it. Yes, I wanted all of these things. But aside from the external validation, I wanted to feel proud of my work, however imperfect it may be, right? Like there, this book is not without its flaws, of course, but it's something that I stand by, it's something that I'm proud of. And it's something that I'm just elated about when, when I know that more and more people are reading it. So yeah, those are, those are my thoughts. And if I could tack on one more thing to this concept of fame and influence, even though I'm not gonna lie, I definitely do want to have influence in, in ways that I can positively impact others and grow that influence to help even more people seize opportunities and receive opportunities. Most definitely, I want that. But Shanaz, I remember when I was in my parents' home in my childhood bedroom, living back there when my parents thought I was never going to go back because I was this young hotshot in New York City tech startup sales. And for me being in that room for a year, writing Black Buck, when no one in the industry knew me, no one knew I was writing a novel, I'd reach out to people, they wouldn't respond or they wouldn't give me the time of day, other writers. Not, some, some did, some did respond here or there. Viet Tin Wen from The Sympathizer, he responded to me in 2016, I found his email, right? Pulitzer Prize winner. I emailed, okay. him, I emailed him asking if we could Skype for like 30 minutes, I don't know why I brought up Skype. And he got back to me and he, okay. said, he said he can't because he doesn't even have time for his family and he's so busy just trying to balance life, but that the road to publishing is long and difficult, and it still is for him, but he wishes me all the best and good luck. Receiving just that email, the guy won the Pulitzer that year. Receiving that email made a world of a difference to me, but, but most people weren't responding to me. Most people weren't giving me time, and I wasn't entitled to it. I understand that. So the point of me saying all of this is not just to tell stories or go on a long rant, but to let you know that I'm never going to forget that, I hope. Being that person in that room with a blank Word document writing on his own, I never want to forget that no matter what happens. So what do you say to people with blank word documents that are writing and have a, are working? What is your message to them right now? My message is to embrace that which makes you different because if you can embrace that, it will likely make you a better writer, a more original writer, and someone who, you don't have to put your history into the book, right? No one has to do that. You don't have to write an autobiographical novel or a piece of nonfiction memoir, what have you. But if you can give yourself the freedom to be who you are, you, I believe, will be better able to access emotions and then channel those emotions into your work and then have your readers feel those emotions as they're reading it. So that's one. Two is to try to write without other people in your head. No other reviewers, no other potential readers. No, if you don't have an agent, a potential agent, a potential editor, try not to write with those people in your head, right? When I said earlier on in the conversation that I, um, while I'm writing, if I can tap into it, I'm in the world that I'm writing and I'm not you know, in, in a room right here in New York. If you can get those people out of your head, you'll be more readily available to, I believe, step into the world of your story and connect with your characters, who in that moment are the people that matter most, I believe. And three is 
try to have fun. I know it's corny and cliche. People, your, your mom, when you're going off to play sports, say, have fun, kids, or, you know, whatever. But try to have some fun. I had so much fun when writing Black Buck, and it wasn't the easiest. And there were parts that were very difficult to write and difficult to subject my characters to, and then to have them hurt each other in certain ways. But I was having fun. I was trying to play loose. And I was trying to remember that this is for me. And then it's for other people that I want to help and serve. So yeah, those would be the three things that I'd say right now, Shanaz. There's so many more things, but let's just leave it there. <laughs> you can keep going. I, I don't care. I mean, this is all good. Nah, I just is... turned into a long list at that point. Hey, this really helps me because I'm a, I'm a wannabe writer. So Nice. Okay. Yeah. I didn't know. Yeah, I have a second draft, uh, working on a second draft, sitting as a of Word what? document of a novel. Yeah, <laughs> no, it could have been a memoir, it could have been anything. Oh, oh, true, true, true. It could be anything, right? Hell yeah, it's, okay. It's a novel, which I guarantee you, you will hate, but- what? Why would I hate it? Because it's very feminist and it's anti-male. It's actually what? anti-male. So why would I hate that? Because you're male. I mean, it would be like, because men are like, I hate this, blah, 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 blah. You know, it's like, and women are like, oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, say it, say it, girl. And I'm like, okay, well, whatever. I'm, I'm just going to write me, what I want to write. Give me some credit, Shanaz. I mean, if we look at Black Buck, Black Buck, one of the themes that I was trying to put on display was toxic masculinity and how harmful it mm-hmm. is to the world, but also to men. Right. right. When we think of toxic masculinity, sometimes it's put in this binary of man, woman, right? And it doesn't even think of, uh, other people beyond that. Right. But I also wanted to show how harmful it is to the very people who perpetuate it. So all I'm saying, right, is give me a little credit. I could read okay. your novel and enjoy it. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. That's fair. Hey, okay. What is your secret talent? What is it that people don't know that you're like really good at? Like maybe it's like, Shnaz, I make a killer chili or I don't know. I mean, what is your secret talent? I'm pretty good with a jump rope. Really? Yeah, if you give me a jump rope, I can jump and spin it twice in the air. I can do the little left foot, right foot dancing. I could do it backwards. I could even, yeah, I could switch. I, I, I believe I could rotate it three times. I'm, I'm hearing it in my ears as I say that, like, <sighs> yeah, at least twice. Oh, wow. Yeah, so I'm pretty good with a jump rope. I actually wrestled. I was a three-sport athlete in high school. So one sport was soccer. Okay. Um, affectionately referred to around the world as football for my Americans here. Um, <laughs> the, the, the winter sport was wrestling and then the spring sport was track and field. So with wrestling, we had to jump rope and yeah, I got good at it. So I'm pretty good with the jump rope. So where were you? Um, were you born in America or I know your mom's from Jamaica, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So my mom's from Jamaica. My okay. pops are from Iran. I was okay. born in America, lived for the first 16 years of my life on Long Island. And then I began going to university in New York City and I've lived all over New York City. And I uh, actually, when I was on the come up, trying to you know work at this tech startup, breaking in, I was an intern. I lived down the street from where a lot of this book takes place in Brooklyn and Bed-Stuy. So I lived there when I was 21 for a year. I lived in Bed-Stuy for a year before that, my senior year of, of uh, college. And uh, I've spent a lot of time in different parts of New York, but for the past couple of years, I have been grateful to live in Brooklyn. Okay. 
So your book is very close to where you live. So mm-hmm. is it also very close to your experience of selling? Are, were you ever in full-blown sales? Were you trained in this? Yeah, I was trained in this. I, uh, I started a sales team when I was about 22 with the CEO of a startup. And it was just me, um, him, and another co-founder uh, selling on the phone. And within a few years, the company grew from about 20 people to like 230. And then when wow. I was 24, I was managing a group of, of 30 people, of uh, 30 individuals who were cold calling and also calling inbound leads. Inbound leads being people who are supposed to like raise their hand in a way, and then you'll call them and they can raise their hands by filling out a form on your website or downloading a white paper connected to your industry, a white paper being like basically uh, a document or um, some like a report, we can call it, you know, related to your industry and you get their information, then you call them and you try to qualify. So yeah, I was trained in this. I've interviewed at least a couple hundred people. I've trained I don't know, probably at least a hundred people in sales. So I didn't have to do any research in terms of the sales aspect of this book or the startup aspect of this book. I, I lived it. Wow. Because it shows, I mean, you're just that scene with the dildo. I was like, <laughs> yeah, you're only like the fourth person to ever bring that up. A lot of people don't bring up the dildo scene. Well, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, should I not bring it up? I mean, oh, no, I love it that you're bringing it up. I love that I'm, scene. I'm thanking you for bringing it up because there's a lot in this book that people don't bring up. Right. I mean, because the reality is, I'm, re- I'm, I listen to the book. Okay. Mm-hmm. I have the audio of the book and we need to talk about all of that. But anyway, the scene, I am listening to it and I'm like, okay, he's having, what was it? Uh, she, someone has to sell a dildo, like, and Rose. yeah. And it's like, and she's like, oh, okay. So, yeah, that's right. She has to sell a dildo to a guy. Yeah, yes, to him. Buck. So that's- To so that Buck, yeah. Like, I'm like, yeah. and I'm like, Oh, F-U-C-K. I'm like, what the heck is going on here? Well, how did it feel when you were listening? I I can't even tell you. I was just like, I was like, damn. Because I was like, shit, she's, there's no way. This is, I was like, fuck, that's mean. There's no way. She's going to be able to do this? Yeah, there's no way. Because, okay, here's the thing. I'm not smart enough to sell a dildo to a guy, okay? If you told me, hey, sell me a dildo, I'd be like, please buy it, please, I'm begging you, please. <laughs> I'm begging you, I don't care if you need it or not. My boss is right here, yeah. just, just please get it, you know? Yeah. Can't you help me out? I mean, but you know, here she is, and the way she does it, yeah. I'm like, damn woman, you're good. Yeah. I was so impressed with Rose. Me too, and then, one of my favorite characters. And then like a while later, I'm going, no, you shouldn't be impressed with it. You should be impressed with Mateo. He's the one who wrote the scene. Like oh, thinking but, it but, out, but I was get, like. I mean, Shana's getting back to it. Like Rose showed me who she was. I know you transcended, I know. No, no, it's not, it's not the transcendent. So it's like, I had ideas for Rose. I definitely had ideas. And I wanted her to, uh, this might not be the best word, but it's the word that comes to mind. I wanted her to be spunky. I wanted her to be fierce. And I wanted her to be able to metaphorically slap the shit out of Darren, right? When he needed it. And she did. But I got to know Rose better over time. And I got to see the softer sides of her too, which the reader will see in the book as well. Rose you know, when I, when I think of her, she's someone, she's one of those people who does have some innate 
sales talent, a lot, not some, a lot of innate sales talent. Talent will get you so far. But when I, when I think about Rose selling Buck that dildo, I don't know if she was actually even selling him. I think she was just trying to get him to put himself in the shoes of a woman, right? And how, and how sometimes, if not <laughs> oftentimes or more times than I want to think, women might be uh, unsatisfied, Right. sexual experience sure. and she I believe was just trying to convey that to him in a way that was uh, stunning and that would get him to just buy it and he did right no <laughs> it was it was great because that's the angle she brought in and she's like hey how you know are you satisfying your partner you know like you and he's like what do you mean of course what? <laughs> I'm a man darn yeah. it I can do this like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right no I was just like Oh my goodness. So, I mean, for me, there are a lot of like memorable scenes. There's, you know, obviously I told you, I thought literally like, I thought the book was a self-help book when it first yeah. started, right? Because yeah. I'm listening to it on audio and I'm going, okay, this is a, okay. This is about a black self-help book yeah. on how to get better. Okay. Okay. And I told you about this, but I, yeah, but yeah. I, but I have to tell my listeners this because as I'm listening, I'm going, wait, no, this is like self-help. This is a memoir. This is Mateo's memoir. But there is no Mateo mentioned anywhere. There's no Mateo. There's no Scaripur. Nowhere. The character is Darren, and then there's Black Buck. And I'm like, where the heck does Mateo fit in this whole picture? <laughs> and um, yeah, so it was just, you know, moments, like memorable moments. As you're like, oh my gosh, is this fiction? Wow. This is reading like a story. Like, you know, as I'm going, I'm going, dude, this is not, this is reading like a, this is a story. No, this is, a, this is fiction. And as it got more and more, I'm like, no, this is, this is definitely fiction. So that moment for me, I mean, I don't know when that came, but it was this constant question at the back of my mind. The memorable scenes is when, you know, they had that exam, that test. Mm -hmm. where Darren does well, but the other guy, the villain. Role play. They're doing a role playing. Clyde. Role playing. Clyde. Clyde. Clyde, I have, I have a great, a great, great, great punishment for Clyde. You know, mm -hmm. like I'm just saying, you know, like hang him up and dip him slowly in a vat of acid, you Ooh. know, you know, slowly, you know, That's just evil. I don't know. I just hate Clyde. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I, 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 God, it's in my podcast. I got to cut it out. No, I won't. Okay. But <laughs> <laughs> no, I won't. But anyway, no, that scene just stuck out because he role played. He did it. He did it. You're like, he, yes, he did no, it. He did it. He did great. And Clyde says, do it again. And I'm like, what? What? I was so he has he has the thumb right where he flips it down right that's that's paying tribute to Gladiator a little bit I don't know if you ever seen Gladiator but yeah uh you, the movie yeah I have seen the movie but I don't remember it yeah I so just, it was Clyde, a long time ago Clyde is gonna flip his thumb up or down depending on if someone passed the role play and he right it down so that's that's just reminiscent of what was happening in Gladiator yeah but it just the emotions mm. in that scene. And, you know, it's not just the, there are two emotions in that scene. I love it because you have the anger emotion that the reader is feeling because of what Clyde's doing. 
And then you have when people step up and say no. Oh, how did that feel? It's like, yeah, I, you know, because ultimately we all want to be, we want to have friends who'll stand up for us. We want yeah. people to be like, you know, see our pain, look how much I've tried. And we want people to stand up. And so you've done that together yeah. in the same scene. Well, I, I know, hate I, you for writing so well, but anyway, well, the, that was great. There's layers to it. So thank you for sharing that because some people say, I don't understand how Darren switched it up so quickly, how he bought into the company so quickly. And I push back on that a little bit, right? Uh, as you could tell, sometimes I'm hesitant to push back on how a reader or what a reader takes away from the book because that's on them. That's right. on them. Right. Um, but if someone asks my opinion, like you did, you know, very, very uh, plainly, then I'm going to give it. But in that scene, we're seeing how it's gradual that Darren buys into this company. He was broken down. He thought that he had failed after one of the hardest weeks of his life. And then one by one, his coworkers come to bat for him, go to bat for him, excuse me, and say, no, he passed. That was in some ways the beginning of him buying in. And it wasn't him buying into a company as much as, as, much as it was him buying into a family. Yes. No, absolutely. So, you know, we talk about memorable scenes, right? So that's memorable. Obviously, the dildo scene's memorable. Oh my gosh, I'm still laughing at the scene where the check comes in the restaurant, ah. you know? The check comes in for $2,000 and they're running away. And I'm just like, it's, wow. I, yeah. So, I mean, and then of course the ending and you're like. What do you think of the ending? I I'm, 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 yeah, this is me. I'm, I'm processing, dude. Yeah. I'm still, I'm still processing. I am, it's bittersweet. Yes. Because in a sense, you know, I'll just say spoiler alert. So, you know, he's in prison, mm -hmm. but he's happy. Mm. Sort of like he's kind of content with saying, okay, you know what? This, I've accepted life for what it is. Yeah. And this is where it goes. You know, it's not perfect, but I accept it. There's a sense of closure in that. Yes. I don't know. I mean, granted, I want a fairy tale and I didn't want that as an end. Mm. But that's not fair for me. I, I don't think it's fair to say, well, no, this is what I want, Mateo you can't have it end there, but I think it's perfect. I really do. It's bittersweet, but perfect. I'm, I'm, I'm happy to hear that. Um, it would be fine if you were like, no, I wish it had ended like this because I, what, what I found is that there are the people who say, I don't like the ending. Then there are people who say, like you're saying, it's bittersweet. I don't, uh, I wish it ended differently, but I understand why it had to end that way. And then there are people who say, I, I like it. It makes perfect sense. I like it. Yeah, I just, I'm just in awe with all the characters you've created. Even the scene where he is driving his- uh, Oh, Chauncey. He's yes. driving the driver, Chauncey. Yes. And he says, no, you know what? You go back, I'm driving for you. And he's like, no, sir, no, sir, <laughs> no, sir, you, you know. It's like, no, go, because it was, what, what was it? It wasn't Chauncey's birthday. It was uh, whose it was birthday? His daughter's. It was his and, daughter's and, and birthday. Fuck, 
Buck, that that scene, I like this because I can give a little bit like, you know, behind the scenes, right? That scene, and, and, I, and I know the readers got this, was to show Buck coming back a little bit, right? Redeeming himself in some ways and coming back to, I'm not going to say being a human because we humans are capable of absolutely anything, right? But I think him finding the kinder parts of himself the more empathetic parts of himself. And yeah, it was it was Chauncey's daughter's birthday and he missed it because he was driving Buck all day and all night and Buck and his friends. And we also see in that scene that Buck didn't even really know that Chauncey was from Senegal. He didn't know where Chauncey was from. Right. Even. And Chauncey, I think, had been driving him at that point for like six months. Buck didn't even know Chauncey, more or less. Right. Yeah. But but like you said, it shows that a softer side to Buck. Like it's kind of a little bit of a redemption. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, there's got to be some sort of redemption here or there. And that's that was like great, you know? So, yeah. okay, I'm going to switch gears a little bit because the only reason I know about your book, okay, is because of... Libro FM, and I'm an influencer for them, which okay. means they give me six free books every month. Okay. Nice. And I think this was February. I don't remember, but here was this book, Black Buck, on my influencer audiobook. I don't own a copy of your book, honestly. I don't own a physical copy. I'm like, oh yeah. my gosh. But I listened to it and I, I have the audio, and that's my exposure to your book. I am on bookstagram quite a bit yep okay i go through all the pictures i mean i go through pictures yeah but i i'm gonna be honest i don't see too many pictures of black buck mm. what do you say about that i mean I, and i'm just i'm very disappointed i'm thinking to myself if i was not a libra fm influencer i wouldn't have read this amazing book oh and another thing i want to say about your book is i think I do like a month in review in my podcast. I'm like, I just kind of like, oh, all these books I read this month or whatever. And I was like, okay, I've been reading all these books and this is like a three star and a four star. Finally, yay, I read Black Buck. I got to a five star book. Yes, finally, it's about time. You know, like it was <laughs> like really good. And then it's like, it's not making its rounds on Bookstagram. So what do you say about that? Yeah. <sighs> Honestly, and I, and I, I, I say this with no ill will, but you need to follow more black bookstagrammers because like, okay, no, Instagram, that's, that's fair. they read, they, re, they uh, like some, some of these are my close friends now, you know, these okay. are people who have read black buck, not because I asked them to, I didn't really know, I didn't know them before they had read black buck and then told me how they felt about it. And then they've spread it. So there have been dozens of bookstagrammers, if not, I don't know, I, I, I can't quantify it really. And I don't want to just like speak or throw a number out of my ass, but it's been, you know, definitely like a couple hundred bookstagrammers who have read Black Buck and posted about it. Okay. And I, know, I know that because they've tagged me in it and I'm like, damn, how many bookstagrammers are there? But of course you, know, you have your bookstagrammers and Chanello, a bookstagrammer interested in Black books, had actually posted about this recently, the the different buckets that she would put bookstagrammers into. So you have people that will just post a book 
Then you have people that, you know, post some critique or a serious review. And then you have people that are about this life nonstop, 24-7. They're making the reels. They're doing this, that, and the other. So as I was getting tagged and tagged and tagged by hundreds of people, I'm like, damn, there are so many different types of people reading this book. And there are so many bookstagrammers out there. So yeah, if you tap into Black Bookstagram, if you... I don't, I don't know like the, the different networks of bookstagrammers that there are, but the bookstagrammers that I know and love and respect have read it. Not all of them, of course. No one has to like read this book. Um, but yes, they've, they read do. they've read it and it's resonated with them and they've understood it and they've given serious reviews and thoughtful critiques of it. And I love that. So, yeah. Okay. All right. We're, we're coming close to time. So I'm, I want to know, I got few more questions, but one is, how does it work when you get into a New York Times bestseller list? I'm just curious, like, do you get a plaque? Do you get a letter? When do you find out, like you wake up and ting your, you know, Instagram, I mean, your text message goes, hey, you're on New York Times bestseller. I mean, Hmm. how does, what is that process like? How do you know what goes on? So you, you wake up and there's a knock on your door and you open up the door and there's nothing but uh, a bottle of water and it says everlasting life. So everyone that hits the New York Times bestseller is given a bottle of water that will make you immortal. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm just like completely joking. I'm completely I'm like, <laughs> your face. I know. I saw you and I was like, okay, yes, my face went crazy. I'm kind of like, like, I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to let this sit for a second. No. So ha, ha, ha. the New York Times um, what what people see online and or what people see in the newspaper is delayed by like a week and a half or two weeks. When you hit the list, uh, certain people in the industry, some agents, some editors and so forth will receive those lists ahead of time and can then let you know if you made that list. And the first week um, that your book is out, any pre-orders that go through different platforms or booksellers that report to the New York Times aggregate and count towards that first week of your book's sales. So after that first week, you might have to wait, I don't know, a handful of days, and then that list will come out and that list will then be published like a week or two later in the actual newspaper. So that's how you find out. You find out if you hit the list, what number you were on that list, and you can celebrate or hope if you didn't make the list that you would make it at another time down the line, or just say, it doesn't matter all that much to me anyway. I just want people to read my book. Okay. Next book. What, what, what do you, what's your next book? Um, I know you're working on it because I know I messaged you about it. So yeah. tell me about it a little bit. Oh no, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, 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 no. I, come on. Give me something. No, no, no. There's nothing. nothing. There's nothing I can say other than that. Uh, I hope that people enjoy it. It's going to be very different than Black Buck, and it's it's an adventure. Okay, I I can't wait. I'm just I'm yeah. I'm in. I I'm totally in. Okay, favorite authors, top five favorite authors. Yeah. Actually, you know, yeah, favorite authors and favorite books. There you go. Let's make it books and authors. There you go. It's really hard. Oh, it's really hard. Um, I can't pick favorites, but some some that I really loved. I loved Americana. Oh my gosh. I loved The Spook Who Sat by the Door by Sam Greenlee. I loved Heads of the Colored People by Nafisa Thompson Spires. This this book is nonfiction, but it's been on my mind a lot. King Leopold's Ghost and 
I don't remember Adam oh, Adam Holfield or something. Let me let me look it up right now as I'm speaking. Okay. Adam Adam Hawk's child. That's who wrote King Leopold's Ghost. It's just everyone needs to read that book. It's nonfiction. It's about the Belgian conquest of the Congo and the reverberations of colonialism and imperialism. Those are a few books uh, I really enjoyed. The Intuitionist by Colson Whitehead, The Street by Ann Petrie, The Angry Ones, and The Man Who Cried I Am by John A. Williams. If He Hollers, Let Him Go by Chester Himes. It's just so, so many wonderful books. Queenie by Candace Cardi Williams. You know, if I, if I just turn my head, I just see so many books that I, I loved. Portnoy's Complaint by Philip Roth. Uh, the Diary of Miss Jane Pittman. It's Miss Jane Pittman by Ernest J. Gaines. <laughs> So many of Iceberg Slim's novels. This the list go Homegoing by Yeah Jesse. The list goes on and on and on. The Mother is by Britt Bennett. Behold the Dreamers by Mbolo Way. So yeah, those are those are just a snapshot of some of my favorites. Great. I I now I know you can't count. You know I said five and you know this is good. This is I'm good. I'm a writer, not a mathematician. <laughs> okay, ready for your last question. I thought that was the last one, but I'm no, right. no, no. One more. Last question, okay? Describe your book in three words. Get ready. Exclamation point. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. Get ready. Exclamation point. Okay. Mateo, this has been just absolutely wonderful. I cannot thank you enough. I mean, I just. Get it, Janaz. I can't believe an hour's already gone by. That's wild. I know. I, I mean, I'm looking at the time. I'm going, oh, my gosh, it's been an hour. How did that happen? It's been an hour. Thank you for having me again. Thank you for asking the question. Thank you for your enthusiasm for deciding to have me on and, and discuss my debut novel, Black Buck. I really appreciate it. And I, I, I'm deeply grateful just for your love of books in general. Thank you, Shanaz. All right, folks. That's it for my fangirling moments. I hope you enjoyed our conversation as much as I did. Again, I'll add Mateo's contact links in the show notes. What's coming up? Well, we will have month in review after all, and our next month's book club is of Women and Salt by Gabriela Garcia. So I do hope you'll stick around and join us for that. Before I go, if you are on the audio app Clubhouse, please look up my name and follow me there. I'll be happy to do a room with you. Living a Life Through Books is a club now on Clubhouse, so please join the club. One more club information. I have several invites under the Living a Life Through Books club on Clubhouse. So if you want to get in, contact me. I want to talk a bit about a great audiobook app, Libro.fm, lets you purchase audiobooks directly from your local favorite bookstore. Choose from more than 150,000 audiobooks, including New York Times bestsellers and recommendations from bestsellers around the country. With Libro.fm, you'll get the same audiobooks at the same price as the largest audiobook company out there. You know the name, but you'll be part of a much different story one that supports community. Listeners of this podcast can get two books for the price of one. Go to Libro.fm, that is L-I-B-R-O dot F-M, and enter code L-L-T-B podcast. With 
every listen take pride in knowing that you're supporting local bookstores i'll add the links in the show notes if you love this episode or any of my previous episodes please take a moment to write me a review on apple podcasts please share this podcast with your family and friends and through your social media channels follow me on facebook and instagram on living a life through books you can reach me through email my address is living a life through books at gmail.com Join the conversation with me on the audio app called Swell. My tag on Swell is at Bookish Podcast. It's a different kind of audio app, but it's still a good way to reach me. My website is shanazahmed.com. That is S-H-A-H-N-A-Z-A-H-M-E-D.com. The opening and closing music to this and all my previous episodes was composed by my husband, Brad Slavik. I'm Dr. Shanaz Ahmed with Living a Life Through Books signing off. Remember to water the seeds within you. It's time. It's time.